Amen. Today we're really, I'm just staying in this flow of this. I just, I don't feel to, to, to uh, turn it loose yet. And we're talking about uh, in the spirit. And today I'm going to be talking about the language of the spirit. Um, the Bible in Acts chapter 2 talks about that each one of them heard them speaking in tongues in, in their own language. Uh, but what today I want you to hear this. I don't even know if I'll get to that part today. Uh, I hope to, depending on how fast that clock moves on me. But uh, I, the, when I say the language of the Spirit, I'm talking about far more than just someone praying in a prayer language or in tongues. And we believe in that because the Bible teaches that. But I mean far more than that. I'm talking about uh, the language of the Spirit. Do you, do you not know that the world that you and I have grown up in is, for the, for, you know, for the most part, if not totally, it is a negative society? And everything is trained to be negative. And listen, our whole world and, and, and your jobs, our jobs, pretty much, all our jobs are based on problem solving. In other words, the reason you have a job is because you are gifted to solve a problem. And the bigger the problem you solve, the more money you make. So if your problem is, uh, you know, the problem we need somebody to, we got a problem here. We got all these, this product. We need to box it up and ship it to somebody. Well, that's a problem. They hire somebody to fill that place and fix that problem. Okay, and I'm not demeaning that, but that that person's going to make an X number salary. If you have a brain tumor and that's a problem, and you have a neurosurgeon that's going to go in there and remove it, then he's a problem fixer. But they're going to pay him a whole lot more because he's dealing with a bigger problem. And there's fewer people that can solve that problem. Are you with me? But what I'm trying to tell you that heaven has no problems. So heaven's going to speak a different language. The Spirit's going to speak a different language than we used to here on earth. So listen to what I'm fixing to do today. I'm going to try to teach a foreign language to us. I'm teaching a foreign language to us, and it is the language of the Spirit. So in other words, if you're going to go to the mission field and they speak a different language, you're not going to be much use there unless you learn to speak that language. And so the Holy Spirit, God, has his own language. God is spirit. That's what John chapter 4 says. God is spirit. So you're going to have to speak spirit. But none of us are trained to speak spirit. We're trained to speak the language of this earth and our culture. The difference between the Old Testament covenant and the New Testament covenant is the Old Testament covenant was a visitational covenant. The New Testament covenant is a habitational covenant. So you shouldn't spend any time praying and asking God for a visitation because actually you're trying to pray for an Old Testament pattern that's been done away with. The Holy Spirit comes when you receive Christ. We learned that last Sunday, right? That is the gift. So if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you on the inside. The Bible says that you have received the fullness of God in Christ. So what are you praying more, Lord, more for? How many knows if your glass is full, you can't get any more in it? Well, where is the fullness? I don't feel full. It ain't by feeling. It's in your spirit. Do you know that there's a word that you won't find? There's a lot of words you won't find in the Bible. But one of them, and I just verified this because I didn't think it was in there. The word achieve, achievement. None of that is in the Bible, ever, not one time. 
Because achieve means to gain something by exerting your strength. And what you do in the Word of God in the New Covenant is you receive. You don't achieve. You receive righteousness as a gift. You receive holiness. You don't achieve holiness. You receive it as a gift. It comes with being born again. Now, you and I can manifest more of it in the outward what other folks and you and I can see. Okay? But as far as receiving it, the problem is not that you have a deficit or deficiency and you need God to do something more. He put it all on the inside of you when you were born again. Now, some of you know that, and that's why you can say amen real loud. Some of you, I just confused the daylights out of you because you've been going to the wrong church. God has placed the full. Let me tell you another verse. It says you are complete in him. If you're complete, then what, what are you after? We have to learn to yield ourselves to the Spirit, speak the language of the Spirit, and allow God to flow in and through us. Amen? So, Father, we do thank you for the Spirit of God that you've gifted to each of us that have put our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray today that you would help us to grow in wisdom and knowledge of your Son, Jesus, that our peace may be multiplied, that your grace may be abundant and displayed in our lives as we live in this world. We thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord God, for gifting us with the gifts of heaven. We give you praise, honor, and glory in the mighty, strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen? Smile at somebody before you sit down. Shake their hand and say, welcome to Grace Point. We're glad you're here. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, I just didn't want you to have to stand as we read through this because I do want to comment on a couple of these verses even as we read them. First Corinthians, the second chapter, verse 9. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and, and, and this is a very familiar verse, but he says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now look at me. That's where most of the church stops right there. How many times, if you've been in church all your life, have you heard somebody quote that verse and stop right there? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God's prepared for them that love him. And they end it and they stop it right there. Because what they, and what they mean when they say that is don't even worry about trying to figure it out because you never will. Because eye hadn't seen, ear hadn't heard, neither has it even entered into the heart of man the things that God's prepared for them that love him. It's just don't even worry about it. Look, but look, next verse, but God has, not will, has revealed them to who? To us, how? Through his spirit. For the spirit searches how many things? Yes, the deep things of God. That means that the spirit is a better search engine than Google is. That means that the Holy Spirit knows more than Google knows. And y'all need to stop asking Google and start asking the Holy Spirit. <laughs> We're too quick to Google and too slow to ask the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, he has a bigger search engine. He says he searches how many things? All things. What things? The deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Now, that ver that, the way that's worded in English kind of... To some, it's confusing a little bit when you first read it, 
what knows the things of a man except the spirit of man. Which, in other words, nobody knows what you're going to do except you. The best hint of knowing what you're going to do, the person that knows that the best is you. You know what you're going to do. Okay? And if you don't know what you're going to do, none of the rest of us sure don't. That's what the verse is saying. And it says, just like that, even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So if you don't know what God's up to or what God's going to do, who knows what God's going to do? The Spirit of God knows. Are you with me? Now, we have received, not, not if we pray, not if we fast, not we hope to one day over yonder in the glory land by and by after a while. Now, we have. Everybody say that's past tense. We have received what? Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. When did we receive the spirit that was from God? When you got born again. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you received the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to some good news? Why did we receive it? That we might know the things that have been, not will be if you pray long enough, but the things that have been didn't cost anything freely given to us by God. That means it's freely given. You could just say given and that would be nothing, but God has to put freely given in there. I'm going to give it to you and it's free. So you didn't earn it by praying, fasting, seeking, begging, pleading, nothing. I've given you these things. The Bible says that in the, in the book of Ephesians, that we've already been given all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Amen? And now, when you teach like this, uh, he says, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Because the Holy Spirit compares spiritual things with spiritual. But when you talk like this, verse 14, the natural man, not carnal now, not sinful, but just your good old educated VSU trained mind or whatever. I mean, there's nothing wrong with education, but when it comes to the spirit, but the natural mind, the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Now you're going to be judged by people, but they're not rightly judging you. Because they're not spiritual. Okay? For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And then I want you to see this. But we have the mind of Christ. I don't want you to be like me. I spent more than a decade or longer as a believer not knowing this verse. And I would spend many hours praying for the mind of Christ. You know why I was praying for it? Because I didn't believe I had it. And that's a lie. If you are born again, you have been given in your spirit the mind of Christ. That's why the Bible warns you not to be double-minded. You can't be double-minded unless you have two minds. I mean, notice when you go to the ice cream shop and ask for a double scoop, they give you two scoops. That's why it's called a double scoop. Do not be double-minded, unstable. What, what are we doing double-minded? The mind of Christ, you're bouncing back from that, and your natural mind. When problems hit you, our tendency is to draw all of our thinking from the negative realm of our natural mind. And heaven doesn't think like that because there are no problems in heaven. No, they're not trying to solve a problem this morning in heaven. 
But yet in the earth, you and I are confronted daily with problems. But when God sees those problems in our lives, I'm not saying he sent those, but when he sees those, then all heaven, how heaven views a problem is that is a potential for promotion, for possibility. See, with men, these things are impossible. But with God, how many things? Really, all things are possible to them that what? That believes. Believes what? Now, everybody, how many believers are in here today? Now, see, if you didn't get your hand up, then why aren't you playing? <laughs> this is, in other words, listen to me. I'm not talking about how many believers in Christ. I didn't say that. I didn't say how many believers in Christ do we have in here this morning. I just said how many believers do we have. Now, everybody in here, put your hand up if, you, if, if you're not paralyzed and can move it. Put it up there. If you don't, I'm going to call you down front. Okay, no. <laughs> okay, here you The point, listen, what I'm trying to get you to see is every one of you, include all of us, believe something. Everybody's a believer in something. You either believe in God, you believe in the negative, you believe, you believe things about God, you believe things about church, you believe things about yourself, you believe things about the Bible, you believe things about money, you believe things about life. And the, and the reality is that we have to understand that your belief system may be messed up. We're born and trained to have a messed up belief system because we believe in the negative. We believe that impossible things are impossible instead of impossible things are probable and possible in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? So when it comes to the language of the Spirit, in order to learn that language of the Spirit, we have to set aside the thinking that the world gave us. In other words, listen to me, and I know most of you know this, but the word in the Bible that you see in the New Testament, repent. Now, what does that mean, church? Think differently. It is the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your mind, to change your thinking. Now, this is what John the Baptist preached for the six, you know, to introduce the coming of the Messiah. Prepare, repent for the king. Now, the church hears the word repent, and they mean to get on your face and tell God how sorry you are and how much sinning you've done, and you're going to try to be a better person. That's what they mean. You know it. That's not what the Bible means. In the Bible... The word confess, when you say that in the average church, they only mean confess what? Your sins. But in the Bible, in the New Testament, the word confess appears several times. Only one of the times that in the whole New Testament does it have anything to do with sins. In Romans chapter 10, which is the chapter by which we learn how a person is saved, the word sin does not even appear in that chapter. But I, I know I cover this often because I have to because we don't get it. We still think that we got a sin problem and that Jesus didn't do what he came to do. He came to take away the sin of the world. And if he took the sin of the world away, he took yours away. 
So Romans 10 says, if you want to be saved, you believe in your heart that God did lie, not lie, that he raised Jesus from the dead. And you believe that, and you confess that with your mouth. That's it. You're saved. You go to any church in Valdosta and ask them, how do I get saved? They're going to say, bow your head, close your eyes, confess your sins. Tell God you're a sinner. That's not, that's church, that's not Bible. I got some new people in here this morning looking at me, so I got to cover this. In Acts chapter 16, when the Philippian jailer asked the great apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? I guess Paul didn't know how to do it either. Because Paul didn't say anything, never mentioned the word sin. All he said to that jailer, who, by the way, was supposed to kill himself before the king did it because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He didn't say, bow your head, close your eyes, repeat after me the Lord's Prayer. There is no Lord's Prayer for the sinner in the Bible. I'm not saying it's evil or demonic to do that. People still get saved in spite of our stupidity, in spite of our ignorance. Because God's the one saving them, you're not. But you're not saved because you recited a prayer properly. You're not saved because you said the right words in front of the right preacher. You're saved, born again, because you put your faith, which is your trust, for righteousness, holiness, perfection in Jesus Christ. And all that he accomplished is accredited to you, and now you stand in Christ. What must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See how easy that was? He never said sin to the guy. Why didn't you get the guy to confess his sin if you got to do that to get saved? Because you don't have to. That's a lie. And what it does, you start people right off with an undue obsession about sin as if it hadn't been dealt with yet. And then you get all the religious crowd when they hear somebody like me talking like that go, well, he's saying that you can just sin willy-nilly and sin like crazy. It don't matter. You and the devil is a lie because I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I advise against sin that doesn't produce anything but death for the saint or the sinner that does it. But just be clear on this, my brother and sister. It is not God that is punishing you or paying you back for the dumb decisions that you make. It's not God whipping on you or doing that to you. It's just that you, I mean, if you got a hot eye of the stove and you, you know, you walk up and lay your hand intentionally on it, you're going to hurt a while. There's going to be tremendous pain. But don't go around telling everybody, well, God did this because he's trying to teach me a lesson. Why don't you do that to your kid? Why don't you take your five-year-old's hand and just smash it on the hot eye of the stove and say, now, I love you, I just did that to teach you a lesson. From now on, you'll learn not to do that because now for the next six weeks, you're going to hurt. Why y'all looking at me like how you accuse God of the same thing? God give me cancer. God caused this accident to happen. God didn't cause it, Brother Dale, but he allowed it. Same thing. They still lock you up in Georgia for allowing it or causing it to your kids. It's called child abuse. And I get really upset with people that accuse my father of child neglect, child abuse, all that stuff. But listen, if you're going to learn 
and we're going to learn the language of the Spirit, we've got to set aside this thinking that the world has given us, and we've got to think differently. Which means, listen, which means that there is no place in our spirituality for reason, logic, rationale, or human intellect. Wait, 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 what did he say? I said, listen to me. When it comes to our spirituality and how we think, to learn the language of the Spirit, we have to lay aside this reason, logic, rationale, leaning on our human intellect. Because let me, let me just say this, and boy, this will get me some stuff here. But God is not rational. L listen. God's not rational when it comes to the spirit things because he asks you to believe in what you can't see. Is that rational? No, that's not rational at all. For somebody to ask you to believe in something that you can't even see, that's not rational. But God asks you to believe in, in what you can't see. In fact, he asks you to see, he commands you to see the unseen. It's not rational to tell Hebrew children to see this mighty city called Jericho with tremendous wall, walls so wide on top that they said you could race uh, two teams of horses and chariots and never fear falling off either side. And, and how he's going to win this city is he says just march around it one time a day for six days and go home. And then on the seventh day, march around it seven times. And after you get march around it seven times, just have the trumpet players blow the trumpet real loud and the walls all come fall in. Now, is that rational? Is it logical? Does it make any kind of military sense? God's not rational. Tells Gideon, listen, you got 300 guys, would you? And, and, and he whittled him down to that. And there's an army, just, just thousands coming against him. And God keeps telling Gideon, you got too many soldiers. Tell them all to go home, they're scared. Most of them went home then. And then he said, you still got too many. Take them down to the brook and let me see how to drink water. And the ones that lap water like, like a dog, he said, keep them. All the rest of them, send them to the house. And when he got through, he had 300. And he was outnumbered like 3,000 uh, 3, to 1. And God says, all right, now here's your weapons. There's only 300 of you. There's thousands coming against you. I want you to get just a tea pitcher, water pitcher, and a lantern. What are we going to do? That? That's your weapons. And when I tell you, you bust the lantern and shine the light. Is that logical? Does it make sense? Is it militarily sound? But it brought the victory. So when you start learning the language of the Spirit or hearing God instruct you in ways, if you're one of the, this is what the church does. I've been raised around this all my life. You always have those people in the church, in any church, when if the spiritual conversation comes up or if somebody's trying, well, now, Brother Dale, the Lord gives us wisdom. And what they mean by that is don't do that crazy spiritual thing that you feel like doing because that's not a smart decision. And so what, and what they're saying is God gives us wisdom. They mean human wisdom. 
I don't have time to turn there, but the book of James, the third chapter, says there's human wisdom, and, and it's not from above. And he said it's, it's earthly, it's sensual, based on the five senses, what you see, touch, smell, taste. And, it's, and in fact, you won't like this one, but I didn't write the Bible. He said it's demonic. He said, but the wisdom that's from above is this first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's teachable. So which, which wisdom? We t- well, the Lord gives us wisdom. The Lord gives us wisdom. God has asked me to do so many things. I remember when I was a paramedic in, in, in Tifton, I had worked there six years, and, and, and I, 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 was, I had spent a year trying to, to, to uh, actually get a job with Georgia Power. Because I, I've always had that kind of thing in me, like I'm a, I'm a child of the king. And so I got tired of working. If I just worked 24 hours on, which I did, and 48 off, which I never did because we worked so many more hours than that. We got called in, extra stuff. But if you just work 24 hours on like, like I did as a paramedic and you're off for you two days, then you work 56 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. And we work, I can't even, I mean, all, my wife said so many times, I would pull 48 straight. I've pulled 96 straight before. And because, uh, hey, the more you work, the more money you make. And, uh, but when my kids got, started having kids, I got tired of that. I missed them tuck-ins. I missed being home. And I, and I, and I, and I had this kind of thought. I said, well, I want to be a normal guy. I want to have a normal life. And I want to be eight-to-five guy. And so I just looked around and I said, who pays good? Georgia Power. I'm going to go to work with Georgia Power. Because I just felt like I could pray my way in there. <laughs> and I went and took the, the exam, and I actually said, I want to be outside. I want to be the one the guys climbs the pole, you know, works on the lines, whatever. I'm, I'm an outside guy. So I took the test in Tifton, and then in those days, I came down here to Val Austin, applied here. I went to Waycross and applied in Albany. And you had to physically go, and you had to physically do something in their office, and you had to physically sign. And you had to do that every 90 days in those days because there were so many people wanting to get jobs with Georgia Power that they, you know, it kind of weeded out the people that wasn't really hungry. And so every 90 days, within that 90-day period, you had to physically drive to each of those locations, walk in, tell them who you are, what your number was, and re-sign again that you're still interested. And I just knew God said to put me on any second. I'm going to get me one of them yellow hats. And some fancy boots, and I'm going to be outside, and I'm going to come home unless there's a power outage or something. I understand about all that. But I'm going to make a whole lot more money, and I'm making saving lives, snapping out disease on, as a road doctor. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but it didn't happen. And I got to speak, but it didn't happen. I'm talking about a year or more went by. And I remember on our job, our chief of the emergency medical service resigned in May. Since they had started an emergency medical service in Tifton, they had never been an EMS director or chief last more than 24 months. That's a pretty big attrition rate. For that, and that, from, that would, would have been from 1974 on, and now we're in 1984. So 10 years. And I had been there since 1979 and had then worked under three different chiefs. Okay, so there's some high pressure, something going on that makes it tough for, for the man to stay. Okay, he left in May. We had three shifts, three shift captains. They made the senior captain kind of over all of us, and we still take care of business. In November, I'm just telling you how God works with you in the spirit. In November of that year, I was at the ambulance service just working. 
I'm frustrated. I've already stopped driving to Albany and Waycross because I'm tired of driving, signing my Georgia Power thing. My faith is starting to drop off. I know yours never has, but mine was. And I just started getting discouraged. And then before long, I quit driving to Val Austin, and I'm just hanging in for the Tifton job. Before long, I'm saying, heck, they're not going to hire me. And I'm so frustrated. And, I'm, and, and just to be straight up, I'm a little aggravated with God. I, I don't recommend it, but, hey, I've been there a few times. You know, like, I don't understand you. <laughs> you know, where's all this faith stuff, man? I'm just not happening. And I was standing in the Amnesty Service building. It, they, that building is actually torn down now, but I, I could show you where I was standing if it was still there. When I said this, just kind of out of my heart, not out loud, I just said, God, I don't understand you. <laughs> That's a stupid statement. But I said, God, I don't understand you. I said, I've been praying for over a year for another job and, you know, where I can be home, be church every Sunday. I thought, like, you know, that would get him, you know, like if I be there every Sunday, you know, kind of deal. And uh, I said, you ain't, you ain't answered my prayer yet. And I'm telling you, you may not believe it. I don't care because it ain't you, it's me. And I got the mic. I heard God, was it audible? Well, inside, yeah, it was louder than audible. But this is what I heard God say. He said, there's a job right under your nose you had not even applied for, and I've given it to you. And I, and, and, and I knew when he, because see, with God, when God talks to you, in the spirit, it come, even though he uses words so that we can understand, but it comes pregnant with revelation. And I knew when he said that, that he meant the chief's job. I hold no rank. I'm 26 years old. All our chiefs have been in their 50s. Because you don't know nothing until you get 50. And it terrified me. I remember I scheduled a meeting, and I told Jill, I said, God spoke to me. God's going to give me the chief's job. This is November 1984. And, uh, and, and, I, and I arranged a meeting with that senior shift captain, and I said, I want you to get me a, a, a meeting with the chairman of the county commissioners because I want to apply for the chief's job. Now, since May, this is in November now. Y'all follow me? You tracking me? Since May, I'd seen many different chiefs get a tour of our headquarters. Guys that I knew, like one guy was from Dublin. He was the chief of EMS up there. He came, there were several, in other words, it wasn't like there was no people applying for the job. For some reason, the county never hired any of them. And I'm talking about experienced men. One guy from Atlanta. They didn't hire him. I don't know why. I wasn't in the process. So here it is, November, we still don't have a chief. And God speaks to me and said, I've given that job to you. I remember I went to that senior shift captain, <laughs> Gene, and I asked him to get me a meeting with the commissioner chairman, and he, he's like, what do you want to meet? I said, I want to apply for the chief's job. He actually went, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he actually laughed in my face. <laughs> he's, he, he actually, he's giggling. He says, I'll get you an appointment. He's like, man, I mean, he was like, you're wasting your time, taterhead. I mean, you ain't even got no rank. Ain't going to try to be the head? 26 years old, you ain't been here for six years. I got socks older than you or something. I mean, so I remember I went and met Mr. Charles Kent, Chairman of Tiff County Commissioners. He was like our city manager or county manager because we didn't have one of those days. He was it. He was eight to five, five days a week. I met with him. He read my resume and application and, and uh, he said, how long have you been with us? I've been here since 1979, Mr. Kent. 
He said, you're pretty young. Yes, sir. You know, guilty as charged. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He said, you'd be supervising men a whole lot older than you now. You think you can do that? Yes, sir, I believe I can. He said, well, thank you for applying, and I'll get back with you if we're. And that was the end of the meeting. I remember I came home that night, and I told God, I said, he, he didn't say nothing. I told my wife, I said, he didn't say nothing, but I said, I know I got the job. Because God said. God wouldn't be dangling all this in front of me. And I remember we lived in a little single-wide trailer in Sparks. And I was laying in the, in the bed having chest pain. Actually, it was an anxiety attack, but I didn't know what it was back then because I hadn't watched enough TV. But I was having an anxiety attack. And I was having chest pain. I remember Jill looked at me, and, and she said, she said, this job going to kill you before you even get it. <laughs> she said, you're already having chest pain and anxiety, and you ain't even got the job. I said, I know because they gonna, I know God's going to give me the job, and I don't know nothing about the job. And ain't, there's not going to be no training. And so I go back. A week or two goes by. We're into December now, and the chairman calls me back, and, he's, and he has a second meeting with him. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you the job. He said, but because you're so young and inexperienced and you've not been in a supervisory role, he said, this is just going to be between me and you. I'm going to give you the job as the chief, but I'm, we're going to put you on a six-month probation. And he said, in that first six months, if I don't like your performance or how it's going, then I'm just going to put you, you know, back on the street. And he said, no, no hard feelings, okay? And he said, after six months, if you don't like the job and you want to go back as a street medic, then you go back on the street and there won't be no hard feelings. How about that? What am I going to say? No, I, you know, he's the chairman of the commissioner. Yes, sir. He says, now, here, now I'm a street medic. I'm working a lot of stuff. But I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm making a huge salary of about $25,000 a year at that time as a street paramedic. And so he says, well, now I'm going to give you the job. You'll start January the 1st. That'll be your first official day. He said, of course, you're off on that day. It's a holiday. See, paramedics don't get holidays unless you're like that. Like a chief, you get a holiday. So actually, I started on first, but I didn't have to go into the second. So he says, now, this is your pay. And he said, you understand that you're on a salary, and it don't matter. That's all you can make. This is your salary. This is a salary job. He said, your salary is $19,800 a year. But God said for me to have that job. God just cut my pay <laughs> by over $5,000 a year. And, and Brother Dale says, Jill, barely making it. We living from pay, pay, paycheck to paycheck on that. And now I'm going to take a $5,000. See, some of y'all right then would have bailed on God. Because it's not logical, it's not reasonable, and it doesn't make sense, and it don't work on a calculator. That's why some of you don't tithe because you're going by a calculator instead of the spirit. Because you can't understand how you give away 10% more of your income and end up with more spending money. Because you're, you're reasoning. If you just look up the word reason, how many times in the New Testament did Jesus say, why do you reason among yourselves? They said, he said this teaching because we didn't bring enough loaves of bread. Jesus said, why do you reason you have no bread? The, 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 the guys on the... On the uh, uh, Emmaus Road. Remember those two guys? It says they, Jesus has been, you know, he's already resurrected that very day. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're giving up. They're quitting. They're discouraged. They're sad. And it says as those two disciples walked on the road to Emmaus, it says they reasoned and conversed among themselves. Oh, we thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. And then Jesus just appears to them. And he says, what, what is it that you were talking about reasoning among yourselves? Stop reasoning everything out. 
And so I, I thought, God, how are we going to make it? I remember just feeling kind of pale, flushed when he told me. I thought, I thought the brother was knocking out some big money over there. Chief, that's just a title with no money. I'm think, I couldn't say, because God said. So I took the job. No possibility of any kind of overtime or making any kind of extra money. And, but yet God provided for us. You can't reason your way through all this stuff. And I didn't know what God was going to do. But God used me there in that position. As dumb as I was. I, I had a man on my first, what day did I tell you I started? January 2nd. Do you know once I, in the middle of December, when, they, when it got out that Dale Young's going to be our chief, I had this guy that was a shift captain. Now, you only had three of them guys, and they're the leaders. And in the county policy, you couldn't have uh, a, a beard. You couldn't even have like what I got here. And for, they, just didn't, they just didn't allow it. That was their policy. And you sure couldn't have Elvis Presley pork chop sideburns that go down into a mustache. But as soon as I was told it got out to my department that I'm going to be the chief, one of those shift captains started growing him some Elvis Presley pork chop sideburns and a mustache and, and a goatee. And I watched it grow all of December. And his shift came on January the 2nd. And on January the 2nd at 8 o'clock when I started, he showed up at work looking like one of the guys from Louisiana, all bushy. And I called him in at my office at 8.15. And I called his name and I said, what, what's up with all the, you, you know you can't, you can't do that, man. Well, I'm, I'm going to grow it. 815. I've been on the job 15 minutes, Brother Ken. <laughs> 15 minutes. I'm 26 years old. I weigh 160 pounds soaking wet. I mean, I'm standing there skinny. And he's standing there. And, and he was one of the guys that interviewed me when they hired me in 79. He'd been there since they started the service. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, he's been there from the f first day. And his motto always was, I've seen them come and I've seen them go. <laughs> he was the reason some of these people were leaving in 24 months. And I, and I said, <clears throat> shave or go home. He, did, he stood there. His face started turning red. He looked at me. We just having the old stare down, you know. I said, listen, bro, I'm not, gonna, I'm not playing with you now. I said, shave or go home. You either go in that bathroom and shave that mess off or you go get in your truck and go to the house. And he just looked at me like, he never said that, just going to stare me down. And he finally just went, Phew. and he walked out of the office and slammed my door. You know where he walked to? To the bathroom. You know what I did when he closed the door? I sat down. <laughs> oh, God. I sat down. I was wiping. My knees was knocking. See, some, see, God trains you in a lot of places, but it's not in all in seminaries. I didn't know what God was going to do there, and I was the chief for 12 years. I still hold the record for the long, longest longevity. Still hold the record. 
Why? Because God helped me, and I prayed every day that God would give me favor with those commissioners, favors with the men and women that I work with, and I learned a ton. I learned how to start out being responsible for $368,000 of the, somebody else's money, and they would not pay a dime for anything at that animal service unless they had my initials on it because that way they limited to who, who, this is the one guy we fire. And when I left there, it was $1.1 million a year and 34 employees in two stations. And I learned a ton. And I didn't know God was going to allow me to carry the department through two, not one, two 20% pay increases across the board, which I was a recipient of myself. How many knows that can boost your salary up? And God supplied and God blessed us. There's a lot of ways that God speaks in the spirit. And God's, God is so creative and he's going to do things in so many different ways. There's this guy that I have, I don't personally know him. I don't have his cell number now or anything. So I always want to just be, you know, so straight with you with stories. But I've known this guy and he's not a person I listen to very often. But, but actually this week I heard, I was just trying to listen. You know, I'm, I'm a preacher, but I'm, I want to be preached too. I want to be taught. I have, a, I have a lot of confidence in this prophet. He's actually from, from England. And uh, at his church, he had a, a, a lady. He's not the pastor of the church. He just attends there. He travels. He's an itinerant minister. But, but uh, a lady in his church, uh, you know, he said he was coming down the hall. She was coming. And, and um, she stopped him. And she said, uh, and it's a large church, but she said, uh, so you're a prophet. And he said, that's what it's rumored. And she said, and, uh, she said, well, I've been diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer. And the doctors say I have about six months uh, to live. And my question to you, Mr. Prophet, is will I live or will I die? He said, I don't do births, weddings, or deaths, but I will pray for you. And he said, my only suggestion to you, sister, would be this. Ask God, what is it that he can be for you now that he's not been able to be to you before? He said, that is a great question to ask God. What can God be for you now in the situation and circumstances that you find yourselves in today that he couldn't be for you or to you a year ago or even a month ago? Now, don't get, don't get confused because I've said enough you should know. God don't give anybody cancer. The only way God could give you cancer is if he had cancer himself and he don't have it. He can't give what he don't have. So he said, I'll pray for you. And if you want me to pray again, then just call me. So time goes by. A week. She called him a week later, says, I've been saying that and praying that every day, asking God, what can you be to me, speak to me. And she said, I've heard nothing from God. Heaven is silent. He said, well, the Bible says knock and it will be open. Just keep praying and just keep asking. And, and, and God, if he doesn't talk initially, he will speak eventually. Amen. Just keep talking to him. Keep praying. Now, you're not begging for nothing. You just keep talking to him. Ten days goes by. She hears nothing. Fifteen goes, days goes by. She hears nothing. On the 17th day, she's in the grocery store. And she pushing her buggy, and she rounds uh, one to go down another aisle, and a, and a lady comes down the aisle from the other direction. And they approach one another, and as they do, they recognize that they were school chums or school, they were acquainted with, they went to the same class. 
graduated the same year. They knew each other. But they had not seen each other since high school. And actually, they were not friends in high school. The reality was that they didn't really like one another, but they knew one another. Now, the lady that turned on the other end that doesn't have cancer has in tow an eight-year-old little girl with her, which is her daughter. And, uh, but they see one another, oh, my God, I had not seen you in ages. How are you doing? Because you're older now, and you forget that little Mickey Mouse baby stuff in high school, you know. You're supposed to, anyway. And so they're just chatting. The little eight-year-old just keeps tugging on, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. And she says, Mommy's talking. A minute. And so she's talking with her and talking with her. And, you know, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. She says, listen, I'm talking. Be quiet. And the third time, she just, Mommy, I, 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 she said, what is it? She said, you remember the dream, Mommy, I told you? I saw this lady. That's that lady. She said, that's the lady you saw in the dream? She said, that's the lady. Now I feel the Lord right now. You feel him? Now, what God is doing by his manifested presence is saying this story he's telling you is true. Hear me now. Sixteen days ago, this lady's eight-year-old daughter went to sleep, and she had a dream. And in the dream, she was carried to heaven. And this is how the eight-year-old said she went to Jesus' office, and he was sitting behind his desk. And on his desk was a portrait, a picture frame. And in the picture frame was this lady. And it was sitting on his desk. And in the dream, he, she said, Jesus, who is that? And he says, that's my daughter. And I want to give you a piece of paper to give to her when you see her. And when the little girl woke up from her dream... On her nightstand was a folded piece of paper. And she had kept it for 16 days. She had told her mother the morning of the dream. And her mother really didn't know. Thought she maybe just probably did the paper thing. But when they rounded the corner, she saw the same lady she saw in the portrait frame picture. She said, Mommy, Mommy, that's that woman in my dream." And she reached in her pocket, and the lady, uh, she said, uh, she handed the paper to her. The lady unfolded the paper, and it says, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. The lady burst into tears and now tells the, her friend, she hadn't seen since high school, that I have stage four cancer. They told me that I'm dying. And while they stood in the grocery store, the healing virtue of Jesus flooded her body and eradicated her cancer. That's the kind of stuff that God does. God does that kind of stuff. See, we limit God because we don't understand. And we would discount an eight-year-old. Oh, you probably just... No, don't go all oh, you probably just with your kids. Now, some of you would hear that and go, I don't believe that. That's fine because you're not the one dealing with cancer and you ain't the one that got healed. And, and so it's okay. But, the, the, but see, to me, the strongest witness that I have is the witness of the spirit that you just felt. If you're here lost as a goose, you're, you felt that while ago. The witness of heaven. 
as I told a testimony of the goodness and the power of God. Just because they tell you that you're going to die, that's not true. They're doing their best. They want you to live. They don't, nobody wants you to die in the medical field. But it's not over. Just because they told you you're going to lose your it's not over. It's not over. It's different today. I feel different today. I told you I wasn't going to get to the tongue part. But this is important. I remember this story. This guy was fresh out of, you know, you know I mean, he, he was just a young preacher, just starting. And actually, they trained these. This, this sounds like a wild story, but I, I just got to tell you how it really is. But these guys actually learned how to parachute. It was three Baptist guys, one Methodist, and then this guy, this other guy that didn't really know what label he was. But, the, the, but they had joined a little mission organization, and they wanted to go and be on the mission field for these trips. And the area that they were going to go in was so remote that they had, that's why they had to learn to parachute, because they were going to parachute in. And actually, once they parachuted in, they were going to just walk their way out, which was actually 100 miles or something, I forget what it was, but they was going to just preach Jesus all the way through, and they had stuff in their backpacks and all that. They were just going to camp and live and preach the gospel. And they, they wanted to go to the most remotest place ever, and I forget the country, but they actually parachuted the guys in. And that was wild. That was like a you know, military exercise, and they went in, and, 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 he, and, and this guy, I heard him tell this story. He said when they landed, you know, and got, got settled and stuff like that, and, and they, look, you know, got, they knew where they were landing, and there was a village, and as they had landed, here comes the whole village. It's, it's walking, you know, it's, the villagers don't see people, you know, skydiving every day, particularly in their area. But who was leading them was a witch doctor. And this guy said he was the most evil-looking thing he'd ever saw. He had bones, heads, uh, skulls, you know, like body parts, skeleton stuff, hanging off of him everywhere. He was all painted up, you know, and he was just speaking in some kind of language that they didn't even have a clue what he was saying. But he said, I, I don't know what he was saying, but he said, I know a curse when I hear one. And he was cursing them. And, and he's coming toward them, and the village is coming behind him, you know, and they're all, you see, they're cowing down to this guy. This, you can tell this guy here, I mean, he's just, you know, he's just deal with these, the, the, these white folks that done landed in here. He's just deal with these. And he said he turns and looks at his compadres, and they're headed in the opposite direction. And here's this guy coming down the road, and he's like, guys, and they're gone. They're heading down the road. And, and he's like, we, we, have, we have learned to parachute to get here. I'm not turning back. I don't know what this guy's supposed to do, but I'm not going to run. I mean, I've learned to parachute. I like to die and get come out of plane to get here. I'm going to just face this guy. So he, he, just, he just starts walking, and he's like, he was praying. He said, and I'm just telling you a story now. He just said, God, help me. I don't, I don't know what to say to the guy. He can't understand me anyway. But what, what do I do? And, and, and he said, heaven is silent. He don't hear God saying nothing. And he said when he was a young guy in England, he would, he would go to this place and he would hear these young guys start out in these, low, in these pubs and all, and they were the Beatles, and there was these different groups, and there was a guy named Mick Jagger. You ever heard of that guy? And he says, uh, 
only come to his mind was Mick Jagger and that song that Mick Jagger was singing, I can't get no satisfaction. I know you're looking at me. Language of the Spirit here. Hang on now. Y'all remember that song, right? I can't sing it for you. I don't get no. I mean, it's just real like a, it's kind of like that kind of song, you know, like he's just screaming it at you, you know. Go home and Google it. You'll enjoy it today. So he, he, he said, I couldn't think of nothing. All that's all that come to my mind was that Mick Jagger song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. So he said he just started walking towards that witch doctor. Talking about, I can't get no satisfaction. And he just started doing like that. <laughs> he said when he did that, he said that witch doctor stopped, dropped the stuff that was in his hand, turned and run, and he said there ain't nobody seen him since. The village all cowed down and, and, and wanted to hear what the guy had to say about the gospel because the witch doctor just got run off. Now, some of you right now are going, that's the dumbest story I believe I ever heard in my life. And he was sitting there and he said that this is what, listen, he said this, God, I mean, how can that? I mean, what's, what's up with this God? I, I didn't say Bible or prayer. I just sung, you can't get no satisfaction in the rich dog. And God said, I'm teaching you something. He, then he heard the Lord. He said, I'm teaching you. Do you not get it, son? He said, he just stood there. I get it, God. This is the lesson. He said, I can have a spirit of stupidity on me and be dumb as a rock, but what's in me is greater than what's in him. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. And I'm going to always win because of who's in me, not because of my words. And with God on the inside, I can sing Mick Jagger and cast devils out. See, if you would get, you're, you're not going to be, greater is he that's in you. You can't lose. You can't lose. Because of, not of you, but because of who's, see, Christ in you is the hope of glory. That means if Christ is in you, glory ain't far behind you. Glory's around you. Glory is available to you. you you've got to stop thinking with the world's thoughts. I remember when this particular church, and I'll end with this, see, this particular church had, been having a lot of problems. It's a denominal church. I won't call the name. I don't ever want to offend anybody like that because I love every. I love church. I don't care what kind of, you know, just preach the gospel. I didn't know nothing about this place. I hadn't even been in this area since a whole other county, you know, pretty good ride from here. But anyway, this young man had married a daughter who her family, that was their family church. And this church had been going since the 1800s, 1880 or something like that. And But the church was... Uh, Got to be careful here. But the church had, I'll just say it like this. The church had the word new in its name. Like new blank, blank, blank church, you know. And so, uh, but he married this daughter that was, that's their family church. I mean, all their grand peoples is buried out back and stuff. So he, he, he marries her. So once they started going to this church and now he's part of that family, they voted him in as a deacon. That's how they do it. And that's, you know, they voted him in. So he was a friend of mine, and he actually worked with me at the Amulet Service, Merch Medical Service. That's how he knew me that well. And he knew I was a preacher, and I was already pastoring uh, Cornerstone Church at that time. And 
And, uh, and, and he listened to me. He listened to me preach on cassette, I think it was in those days. So he actually took one of his uh, uh, cassettes of me preaching and he played it for the deacon board. And, um, and they liked it, you know. And even though I wasn't that kind of a person in that denomination, but they said, hey, let's have that guy come. And he, and he also told them, he said, well, he's got a praise team and a, and a drama team and all that going, and uh, can he just bring the whole shooting match, you know, and let's just have a revival. And, they, and the reason that they were discussing it because they didn't have a pastor because that deacon board had just fired their last pastor. So they, they don't have a pastor right at that time. I didn't know all this. And so he, we, 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 we go. Now we go, and my son that played the drums this morning, Justin, he sets up drums because they didn't have drums. We brought the keyboard because they didn't have a keyboard. It's very traditional, older church, and that's fine. You know, the wood pews, wood floor, so we go there. I'm telling you, God's up to stuff a lot of times, and you don't even understand it. And so we go there, and I knew where we were going, and our drama team, we could do some pretty wild dramas, you know, like. So I told them to do the more tame ones. Our, our praise team, you know, could do, you know. In other words, we had a drama like that was, uh, I forget the guy's name now. Uh, but Satan bite the dust or something like that. What was that guy's name? Who? Carmen. We did a drama to that song, Satan bite the dust, you know, where they were doing like karate kicks and all. So I said, don't do that one, you know, do these other sweet ones like everybody needs the Lord from Ray Bolts and stuff like that. Because <laughs> we don't want to freak these people out. And really, because we're there to minister. We're not there to impress you or entertain you or to put on a show. We're there to get the gospel. So we tried to gauge it, you know, for the, for the audience. So we, we go there. Uh, they get up, and they're very traditional. They, 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 they do their thing, you know. And uh, so I preach, and we started on Sunday night. So I did Sunday night. Uh, I did Monday. I got a call. I was supposed to go through Friday. got a call on Tuesday afternoon from that deacon, the friend of mine that worked at the EMS with me. He was crying, grown man. And he said that the deacons had told him that they, he, they wanted him to call me and say for me not to bring my drama team or the praise team back, but that I could finish out the revival. And, uh, and he said, I'm so sick of these people and religion, and I'm going to quit going to church here, and they all going to hell, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, and just if you'll just meet me halfway, I know it's a long ways over here, and I'll, I'll load up the drums and just meet you halfway, and you don't have to fool these people no more. And I said, well, let me, hang on just a minute. And in my heart, I just said, Lord, what did you want me to do? Always ask that. And God said, go. I said, well, listen, I won't bring the drama team. Well, they'll, I said, they'll come and they'll, they'll be there. But I'll catch them as they get, arrive at the church and we won't do any dramas or, or, or our praise team won't sing. And I'll just preach. How about that? And we'll, let's, just, let's just see what the Lord's doing. So I went. Now, it hurt my feelings because that's like you saying, well, you come eat with us but leave your wife and kids at the house. So my drama team and praise team, they're all there, and, 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 and I just told them, you know, we're not doing anything tonight. And they're like, what's going on, Pastor? You know, it's, it's okay. I'll talk to you later. Just so. so their choir got up, you know, sung, Daddy, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, whatever. They did their thing. You know, the deacon stood in front of it and led it, you know. No life, no spirit. I got up, and I'm like, I can't preach a regular sermon here. And God didn't want me to. So I just basically told them, and I, and I wasn't mad, and, and you, you might not understand this, but I said, you know, tonight's going to end our time here at your church. I said, uh, I, I'm gonna, we're going to finish up tonight. I said, obviously, you didn't see our praise team, drama team do anything because uh, 
your deacons sent word that they didn't want us to. Because what had happened is there's some other churches in y'all's denomination or affiliation in the area that found out that y'all had a charismatic guy, they said, and his church people ministering over here, and they threatened that they would not fellowship with y'all anymore because we were here. So we don't want to cause you any problems. We love you in Christ. And as I began to talk, my wife was there, and she knows, and this, this, it was such a brokenness, in us, and it was, also, it was the spirit, it was the language of the spirit. And it wasn't mean, and it wasn't smart, alecky, or, or it wasn't judgmental of them, and it wasn't cutting them down. My congregation that was there, so many of them that were there that night, God welded their hearts to mine that night when they saw the Spirit. The Spirit's gracious. He's kind. He's loving. And uh, so I'm just like this. I'm walking down the center of the aisle, and I'm just talking to those people. But I did say this. I was, I was plain to the point that I said, you need to go out there and take the word new off your sign because you're false advertising. Because you don't want anything new. You want the old. So just make it on your sign. Call yourself the old so-so church. Don't call yourself new. Because even though God doesn't change, his methodology and his way to reach the generation changes consistently and constantly. But God himself and his character and who he is never changes. And I'm standing there and the spirit of prophecy, some of you may not understand it, but the spirit of prophecy came on me. And I'm in a church that don't even know way believe in that. And I don't even believe it in, in this kind of church that I'm in. And I look out and I'm looking on this side about three-fourths of the way back, and I see this lady this well into her 70s or 80s. And the spirit of prophecy came upon me, and God illuminated her to me and told me to prophesy to her. I'm thinking, like, we're getting kind of kicked out anyway. Might as well just go out with a bang. <laughs> so I said, some of you might not understand this, but I said, ma'am, you know, and I pointed to her. I said, would you stand up? And she stood up, and I prophesied to her. And then another same lady, same age bracket on this side. I prophesied to her, and then I prophesied to a third one. And I'm like, they're kicking me out anyway. You know, might as well just, get, you know, let's let the hair go with the hide, as they say in the country, you know. And so when I got through with those three prophecies, am I telling the truth? When I got through with those three prophecies, you know, I was going to turn it back to, to the head deacon. Remember, they don't even have a pastor. I actually met the pastor that got fired because he was there the first night I was there, and I have never been treated more rude or, you know, as we say in the South, ugly by a man in my life. He just sat back there fume on the back row. And somebody told me that was the pastor, so I went back to shake his hand. He wouldn't even put his hand out to shake my hand. It's kind of embarrassing when you reach to shake a guy's hand and he sits there with his arms folded and just stares straight ahead. You know, I felt a spirit of slap come on me then, but I kind of just... <laughs> I, I, I'm about to turn it over to the, to the head deacon. And after I prophesied to those three ladies, the first lady I prophesied to, she stood back up. She says, Brother Young, can I say something? I'm thinking, we might as well. This is one of those nights, you know. I mean, I said, sure, ma'am. She said, Brother Young, I've been a member of this church for over 50 years. She said, I've seen this church get down to where there was less than 10 people here. And she said, I've been here when they were only six women of the church. And she said, you prophesied over three of us tonight. And she said, what you don't know is the three that you prophesied to, we've been fasting and praying for months 
for our church to have revival, for God to do something in our church. And she said, and this is what she said. She was so sweet. She was this little sweet lady. And this is where she said, she said, Brother Young, I know the Spirit of God. And I know the things of the Spirit. She said, in fact, I've been to a Benny Hinn meeting. <laughs> Boy, you can see her congregation looking at her like, she's been, she's been stuck in the middle of us all these years and we didn't even know. She said, I speak in tongues. And she said, I've been out in the spirit. And she said, we're believing God to do something in our church. And then the other ladies that I prophesied to, they stood and wanted to say something. And they spoke in such a way that it broke the hearts of their own church people, and they began to weep and cry. I closed the revival out, even though many of them were begging me not to. And I wasn't mad, and I wasn't doing it out of, you know, I just, I mean, if you don't want me and my wife and kids, it's just hard for me to eat supper and enjoy it with you. And, uh, and so we closed out the revival, and I thought, well, that's, we done there, you know. And I got back to my home county, the rumor was that I got kicked out of a blank church, you know, a certain church. And they were all like, see, I told you that guy at Sparks was a cult guy. They kicked him out over there in such and such county. I heard he got kicked out. I really come home going, yes. I kind of got the Bible stuff. I got, Paul and them got kicked out of places all the time. And I was like, I never got kicked out, but I got kicked out of a place. Glory to God. I'm kind of living Bible days. Religious people rose up and, you know, they got upset, and I got kind of kicked out. Hallelujah. I was really shocked when I got back to my hometown. The people was like, see there, I told you. And, they were, and it would be like people telling their wives that went there, kind of make them quit coming or something and confuse people. So I don't know how long it went by, probably, what, six months or six months before we got a call. So here I get a call back six months later from that same deacon. I didn't keep up. I didn't know what he was doing. He said, we want you to come back to this church for a revival again. He said, you didn't get to finish last time. And I said, are you kidding me? He said, no, we want you to bring the praise team and the drum team back, and we want you to do all the wild songs. Because <laughs> he had seen us do Satan Bite the Dust and all the other stuff. And, and I said, are you, are you serious? He said, yeah, we got a pastor now. He said, he's the Holy Ghost field pastor. He said, he's, he's, you know, and see, a lot of y'all denominations out there, y'all think y'all, you know, y'all got forbid tongues and all that that the Bible tells you not to do. But a lot of y'all's preachers are tongue talkers in the closet. They just ain't came out the closet yet. But I prophesy they're coming out. And they're going to stand before their denominationals. And you're going to have Methodists and Baptists and Episcopalian and Lutheran and Nazarene and Tangerine. And say, I, you know, we believe in the work of the Spirit. I know, I know for a fact. Baptist, I know a Baptist pastor right now that's tongue-talked all his life. His congregation don't know why he's so, such a good preacher. Because he's got the Spirit of God flowing through him strong. So we go back. And I'm a little bit nervous, but we go back. I meet the new preacher. He's like, Brother Young, I'm so glad that you're here. I tell you, I heard what happened. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I tell you, it won't happen to you this week, brother. He said, you just get up there and be free and obey the Lord. And so, you know, I was on the, like the for some reason, well, I was on the second row, long bench. And I mean, our team cranked it up. So all my church that was there before, here they come back. Now they're all fired up. They got a little militant thing going, you know. Lord of God, we're going back in there again. We get our praise on. <laughs> and this, I'm not making this up. It's the truth. We were standing on that second row and they were singing some song. You know how, you know, the legal charismatic bunny hop, you know, you know, that you can do in church, you know, nobody really gets too mad, you know. 
So we were doing this. I was standing right by one of my uh, leaders, you know, and we were just praising God. I mean, they had that place rocking, that wood floor, you could just, it was just jamming. Man, we were just tearing the roof off, you know. And I remember that we were bouncing, that guy looked over me. He said, Pastor. I said, what? He said, is this the same church we got thrown out of six months ago? <laughs> I said, no. I said, it's the same building, but it ain't the same church. Glory to God. It's a different church. God's done something different. And he changed that denominational church. We stayed there all week, had a revival. And then not only that, they called us back in that summer for the 4th of July shindig in the community where they brought all kind of churches together under this big dairy farmer's shed, concrete floor, and all the community poured out. And I preached the gospel. And we shared Jesus with people. And they didn't care what you was. And all kind of people came, and, and, and God was up to something. But a lot of times it's not going to make sense to you. It's not going to be logical. It's not going to be reasonable. But it's the language of the Spirit. God, if God tells you to take a job and you take a $5,000 pay cut, that's when it takes faith. Did you hear God or not? Yes, God. Well, take the job, son. I'll provide for you. Because I had the thought going back and Wait a minute, I can't afford to take that job. I can't. No, you can, you can do what God says because God will provide. Well, how did he provide? In a lot of different ways, just like he will for you. I'm telling you, it's a journey. It's pretty exciting, really. And when you see a problem hit you, and some of you have got them today, problems. I am so tired of Dale caving in when problems hit me. I told God that, Brother Gene. I would think, you know, as far down the road as I am, I would be better and stronger than I am. I get real disappointed with Dale sometimes because I'll get hit with bad news and I'll just feel myself caving in. I'll feel fear, worry, anxiety, and dread. None of that is the fruit of the Spirit. None of it's the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm just being honest with you. I don't know how else to tell you. And, but when, when we are led by the Spirit, the problem comes. Then we don't cave. Actually, I know this don't make sense, but see, everything in God's kingdom is backwards. To receive, you give. It's just everything's backwards. In the way the world does it. But a problem just releases possibilities. It just, you know, so I got a problem, God. And listen, the bigger your problem, then the bigger the promise. And if the promise is bigger than the problem, then that means the provision is bigger than the problem. And you just have to look to God. And like that lady that had cancer, when she asked the question, Lord, what can you be to me now? in my present circumstances, that you could not be to me yesterday. Now listen, God could be her healer. God's always your healer, but you don't need a healer if you're not sick. God didn't make her sick so that he could heal her. But now God could be her healer because the, something had came upon her to take her life, cancer. And when she said, Father, what can you be to me now? And she prayed it for 17 days. 
with heaven silent. Listen again. But on the first day that she prayed it, on that very night, God gave an eight-year-old little girl a dream and showed her portrait in a frame. Is that, if it, is that even in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. In Isaiah 49, not going to read it or turn there. You read the whole chapter is worth reading. I recommend the whole Bible, by the way. But Isaiah 49, actually it says this. This is what God says. And I felt this so strong during the worship service. This is what the Lord says. He says, but Zion has said, thou hast forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten. But God says, can a mother forget the child that is nursing at her breast? Even though she may forget, yet I shall not forget you. For I have engraved you into the palms of my hands. And one translation says, and your portrait is ever before me. Your portrait is on his desk. Your face is before him. He's inscribed you upon the palm of his hands. And when you get to heaven, the only person you will find in heaven that has scars from the earth will be Jesus. And you will see the wounds in his hands. And the Bible prophesies that we will see those wounds because he will stand out not only for being Jesus, but he will stand out as one who has scars remaining from earth's time. And we will say, Lord, why and where did you get those scars? And he will reply, I was wounded for you in the house of my friends. Would God allow his son to maintain scars that were a glory mark to the devil of what the devil did to his son? No, those scars, those scars are not marks of what the devil did. Those scars are payment, are victory marks for what God did. My son, youngest one, and this is not a sermon on tattoos, but he likes them and He has a tattoo of his son, Abel, tattooed on his chest. Every time he bathes that area or looks in the mirror with his shirt off, he sees Abel. He will never forget his son because he's tattooed him. Actually, the Greek says God tattooed you on the palm of his hands. Some translations actually use the word, said God tattooed you on the back of his hand. God will never forget you. I heard a prophecy that somebody sent to me, and it said, God's about to judge sin, and God's about to judge America, and God's about to judge the NFL. That's convenient, been watching too much news. God's about to do this and about to do that. And also there was a warning that God's going to take his spirit away from all lukewarm Christians. And the person sent it to me, and I know they mean good, but they like a God that will beat the hell out of you. But that's not my daddy. They've met a religious form. They've not met Jesus. And I could not even stomach the whole prophecy. It's actually a prophecy that that, went viral. And I don't care how many tongues you throw in the middle of it, how loud you say it, or how many times you say, Thus saith the Lord. That's a lie. I know a lie. And I wanted to write back and say, If what this man is prophesying is true, then God is a liar. Because God said, I will never, ever leave you, and I will never, ever forsake you. And there's nothing you can do to make God walk away from himself, because you're his temple, 
And then once God has moved in, you'll never move him out, and the devil can't move him out. And by the way, your sin won't move him out. I'm not saying God's not grieved by your sin. I'm not saying you can't quench him by your disobedience. But God loves you the same, and God will never depart from you. You may try to depart from him. You may not enjoy his presence, but his presence is still in you, buddy. God's with you. I don't know if you know this. Listen, there's two, there's two of you. Listen, you're not by yourself today. There's two of you. The one that I can see, and the other one that lives on the inside of you is the one that promised he would never leave you. And God's in you, and Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And he'll never leave you. And you just need to learn to talk to him, listen to him. And hey, and she didn't earn nothing by praying 16, 17 days. But she just said, remember the question I'm ending. Lord, what can you be to me now in this present moment that you couldn't be to me before? Remember the little piece of paper? That's why she burst into tears. Because that question was on her mind. She prayed it for 17 days. And when she unfolded the paper, it said, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. God answered her prayer, did he not? Not only did he answer it in word, but he answered it in deed as well. And the cancer departed from her body. And she was not dead in six months. And that prophet said, telling the story, she's still alive today. That's the goodness of God. Let God be creative. Let God be who he is. Let God do it like he wants to. But don't ever stop believing in him. Don't ever stop talking to him. Amen? Stand with me. Ministry team, I want you to come. Uh, it's 1220 if that bothers you. I just want you to know the time. I love you guys. Thank you for letting me go 20 minutes over, on overtime. I don't know about you, man, but I felt like my shirt getting pushed off my back today with the, just the presence of God. God wants you encouraged. Some of you got some tremendous problems right now. Hey, we all have them. If you don't have a problem, hang in there. You'll get one. You don't have to pray for them. They'll come. But when they come, don't be like I've done so many times. Don't fold up like a house of cards. Don't, 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 don't let your first inclination be reasoning, logic, rationale, balance in my checkbook, the strength that I have, the intellect that I have. Don't let that be your first resource. Let God the Spirit be your first resource. Say, Father, I don't know about all this. This is bigger than me. But it ain't bigger than you. Every time you get a pain in your body and a symptom, don't be the first one to go search Google. How about search the search engine of the Holy Spirit who searches all the things of God? Say, Lord, what can you be to me now in my situation that you couldn't be to me before? Show yourself strong, Father, on my behalf. Reveal yourself to me. Do it any way you want to, Papa. But I wait on you. I wait on you, Lord. I trust you. With my life, my eternal life, I trust you. And I will be here, Lord. Your portrait, my portrait's before you. you. You see my face. My picture's before you. Look on your palms of your hand, Lord. You've engraved me on your hands. I wait on you, Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run. They'll not grow weary. They'll walk. Sometimes it's a walk, but even when they're walking, they won't faint, for they're walking in faith and not by sight. 
They're walking by the Spirit. They're moving in realms and places that's not logical or reasonable, but they're spiritual. So they won't let their mind dictate what their spirit is telling them. If you feel like that you're facing a major problem in your life, I don't care what it is, financial, physical, it don't matter. If you would want prayer especially for that, not individually, but as a group maybe, just come. Stand here in front of the altar where I'm at. Just come if you like. There's, I'm, I'm, I'm at that place now that I have this problem, and I need God to show himself on my behalf. I want you to come. Move out of your seat right now. And let's, I'm just going to pray a prayer over you. And then if God wants us to do more, we'll do that before we dismiss the congregation. Just come, if, just come and stand. God bless you. Just come and stand. Some of you are sitting there trying to gauge your problem and balance it out like, well, my problem, I mean, you, it don't have to be stage four cancer and I'm going to die in six months problem. But if it's a problem to you, it's a problem for God because he loves you. Now, Father, you see these that are coming on their way to the altar. They're not coming to, to me or to Grace Point particularly, but they're coming to you, Lord. These are your children. They have problems. The problems are bigger than they are, larger than they are. As far as wisdom of men, some of these problems are unsurmountable. They're incomprehensible. They're not understandable. But we don't have to. I want every one of you in the altar to say that to the Lord that that lady said, Lord, what can you be to me now in my present circumstances that you could not be to me or reveal yourself to me before. You may get an answer even as you stand there. It may be 16, 17 days. But if you will not relinquish the hope that's within you, God will answer. He always does. Remember that if God doesn't speak to you initially when you speak to him, he will, he will speak to you eventually. But he may speak to you through an eight-year-old little girl in a grocery store. He may talk to you through somebody at Walmart. He may speak to you in a church service with a pastor preaching. Or he may talk to you through a friend. But he will speak to you. He's there with you. He's there in you. And he is for you. So, Father, I pray for all these problems to become possibilities. I pray that we would all have an upgrade in our thinking and we would not think earthly or sensual, but we would think spirit, the language of the spirit that we would see your voice, we would hear your voice, that we would, we would recognize that you're speaking to us, you're leading us, you're directing us, you're revealing aspects and dimensions and facets of yourself that we have not seen before. We are beholding your face in a new dimension. We're seeing you in ways that we've not seen you before previously, Father. And Father, we thank you that our problem has become now possibilities, and our possibilities have become potential for victory. Thank you, Lord God, that you've marked us for victory. Thank you, Lord God, that we've been marked for victory. Thank you, God, that if we stand and sing Mick Jagger, Lord, we can still be victorious, for greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. It's not about my intellect. It's not about my earnings or achievements, but it's about your son, Jesus. And we stand in Jesus. We believe in Jesus Christ. And he, Lord God, is our source. He is our peace. He is our victory. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you as we learn 
the language of the Spirit. We bless you, Father. We bless you, Father. Everybody stretch your hand just one more time to these that are up here. Just, just pray for them. Maybe as you, you just feel an encouraging word to say to one of them, just come and say it to them. Our Grace Point people, just, just speak that encouragement to them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The spirit of prophecy causes us to bring and speak encouragement and comfort and to build up people. And that's what the prophecy of the Lord does. It encourages people. It builds them up in their faith. It comforts them. Lord, I thank you for the work of the Spirit today. Thank you for the work of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.